0: We're going to start in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I'm going to read down through chapter 6, verse 4. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15 through chapter 6, verse 4. Now, we will be in several different places this morning in our message. We'll be looking at Ephesians 5 a little bit and and Genesis chapter 2. So, Genesis chapter 2 is probably the place you ought to go right now in your Bible. Uh, But this morning we're continuing our series on the family and we're looking at the husband and father. And I've said husband first specifically because the first responsibility of a man in the family is to his wife. He is to be a husband to his wife before anything else. And when we think about this topic of the husband and father, we need to understand that there is a conflict between what the Bible says about a husband and father and what our culture is telling us. What our culture wants us to believe about a husband and a father. The Bible presents this man as the bedrock of the family. The culture presents him as a bumbling fool, irresponsible, unwise unable to get things together. We see this coming a lot from the entertainment industry. Now I'm no TV expert. Don't watch that much TV and certainly haven't for the past 20 years watched much TV so I couldn't tell you what are the popular shows on television today. But I do think that when we see what's on television and know a little bit about the shows that are on television, that can be helpful for us understanding the culture in which we live, even how that culture has changed over time. For instance, television shows in the 50s and 60s, When you compare those to the television shows from about the 90s on today, we see a drastic difference. So, you know, television in the 50s and 60s, leave it to Beaver, Gunsmoke, Father Knows Best, The Rifleman, Bonanza, right? The Andy Griffith Show, you had shows like that, and while... We might not agree with the way all men are portrayed in those shows or even necessarily agree with every particular way fathers and husbands are presented in those shows. In general, the television shows at that time presented the husband and father as wise, responsible, dependable. The person who provides and protects for his family. When you contrast this with television shows in the last 30 years, we have shows like The Simpsons. If you don't know what The Simpsons are, it's a cartoon and uh, not a very good cartoon. And I won't go on to list all the bad television shows today because I'd run out of paper. We don't have that much paper in the church. But the thing to notice about these shows that we see today is that it was during this time that men start to be presented as something other, something less than the bedrock of the family. In fact, we find that in many contemporary shows, husbands and fathers are almost totally left out, even if there's a husband Or father in the show. He's not an important part of it. Certainly not a part of it that you would look up to. But oftentimes there's just no husband. There's just no father that is in the show. Uh, But even the entertainment world cannot overcome God's design for the roles and functions of men. So even these television shows, even in the entertainment culture, that does everything it can to present to us what they want us to believe. Even they cannot resist God's design and creation for men. For example, in the movies, strong leading male parts still draw more viewers And more money than strong leading female parts. Why is that? Why do people prefer to see a strong leading male character? Why do they prefer that? How do you explain that? The culture does everything it can not to present that. It doesn't want you to see that. But that's what people prefer. We even see this in sports as well. Think about the NBA And the women's N.B.A. Our culture would have us believe they're all equal. It's all the same. And it should be the same. The problem with that is that people look at that and they make a choice. And they choose to see strong male roles rather than strong female roles. How do you know this? Well, the women's NBA in 2022 brought in $60 million. $60 million, That's a lot of money, isn't it? $60 million. That was exactly 5.7% of what the men's basketball league brought in. They brought in $10.5 billion. Why is that? Why do people choose to watch strong male roles, rather than strong female roles. I think it's because God has created us this way. Uh, Even in our culture, our culture going against what the Bible says, we see the error of the so-called equality movement. One of the things that our mass culture has tried to do in the past 50 years is to flatten out The differences between men and women. They want to make men and women equal in every way. And in order to do this, what they have done is emasculated men and turned men into wimps and idiots. The error of the ERA movement is not that they wanted women to be viewed as being equal and of the same value as men. The error of the ERA movement is that in order to achieve what they believe is equality, they have not elevated women. They have tried to turn women into men and they have devalued and lessened men. And for us to understand how a husband and father fits into the family in a culture like this, We have to understand something about how God has created men, how God has created males. And to understand this, I think the easiest way to do it is through contrast and comparison. And so the opposite of male is female. And so we compare male and female. And uh, these are averages. These are norms. So we're not taking the top 10% of men. Or even the bottom 10%. We're talking that 80% in the middle. The average man, the average woman. And we're going to compare them. And there's three areas of difference that we see. And these three areas are based on God's creation of male and female. The first area is obvious. Physical differences. There are obvious physical external differences between men and women. But there's also differences that are under the skin. For example, men are more heavily boned. Men are more heavily muscled. This means that men are stronger, can endure more weight and stress on their physical frame, and have more endurance. There's a difference physically. There's also a difference and mental attitude or mindset. Now, I'm not talking about mental capacity. I'm not talking about intelligence. I'm not talking about IQ. I'm talking about their mindset, their attitude, their disposition. Studies have shown that women are more geared to what we might call caring or nurturing roles and occupations, jobs that deal with people while men are more geared towards task-driven occupations, dealing with things. For example, women tend to be nurses, men tend to be doctors. Women tend to be teachers, men tend to be engineers. Men are more task-driven, while women are more relationally driven. Women who have careers will stop their careers to have families, men keep climbing the corporate ladder. And even when a society tries to artificially engineer equality, like the Scandinavian countries, they still find that there is a difference between the jobs, the tasks, and roles that men and women gravitate towards. This was because God has built this into us. Men and women are hardwired by God to do certain things and to be a certain way. Society, no matter how hard it tries, cannot eliminate this. There's also emotional differences between men and women. Men tend to be more emotionally objective. Some people would say that's disconnected. It's not being disconnected, it's just objective. And that means they're more disposed to setting aside their emotions and moving on with the task at hand. Men tend to process their emotions more quickly. By the way, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Because that means they get angry quicker. But they also get over their anger, anger faster. Now, these differences that I just mentioned, it's not good and bad. They're just differences. Because God's made men one way, and he's made women another way. But we can't just ignore those differences. We can't say those differences don't matter. If you want to understand about husbands and fathers, the first thing you have to do is understand about how God has created men. They go together. And so this morning, I want us to first, and this should be in your notes, I want us to first to look at the role and function of the husband and father. The role and function of the husband and father. And the first thing I want us to see here is the foundation. The husband and father is the foundation of the family. He is the foundation of the family. So you should be in Genesis chapter 2. Let me get there in my Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, we see this foundational idea from the fact that man was created first. He was created first, and there's a number of different passages we could go to see this, but I just want us to look at verses 21 through 23. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam the man. By the way, in order for Adam to sleep, he has to exist, right? In order for him to sleep, he has to be. He has to have already been created. So Adam is he exists at this point in this passage. So see what it says. Caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he that is the Lord took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from Man, He made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there's an order in creation that shows us that man is the foundation. He was created first and then the woman. We also see this idea of the man being the foundation of the family from the creation function in verse 24 you're in that same chapter look at verse 24 it says therefore because everything that was just said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh so the man is the initiator the starter the beginning of the marriage and the family comes from the marriage. So the husband and father is the foundation of the family. We learned last week that the family was the foundation of society and the church. So here this morning we learned that since the man is the foundation of the family, he can also be seen as the foundation by extension of society and the church. So... The man is the foundation. Secondly, we see here the husband and father is the leader of the family. The leader of the family. So we read about this in our passage this morning in Ephesians 5.23. And, and I think if you're going to try to keep up with me in your Bibles, you're going to have a hard time. Okay? So you might not necessarily want to keep up. Not everything I say is going to be in your notes. Um, But Ephesians 5.23 tells us explicitly. For the husband is the head of the wife. He is the leader. There's uh, two places in our New Testament where Paul uses the creation order that we just read about in Genesis chapter 2. Two places where Paul uses the creation order to show us something about the relationship between a man and a woman. In First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three, it says this. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wo- of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So did you get see that the head of man is Christ, the head of woman is man. head of Christ is God the Father. Then in verse 7 through verse 9, in that very same chapter, it says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For, explanation, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And so Paul is expressing here in these verses about the relationship between a man and a woman. And he's simply basing this relationship that the man is the head of the woman on creation, on the creation account. And so the husband is the leader of his wife. We also see that the father is the head of the family he is the leader of the family and i've just there's a number of passages we could go to i've just chosen ephesians 6 verse 4 to illustrate this point for us this morning ephesians 6 verse 4 and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up raise them In the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, who's responsible to raise the children? Who's responsible before the Lord to raise the children, according to this verse? It says fathers, doesn't it? Why? Because they are the head of the family. God will hold fathers accountable For how their children are raised. So even in that aspect, our culture gets a lot of that way wrong. A lot of that wrong. Where we have fathers and husbands who just say, well, that's my wife's job to raise the kids. That's not true. That's not true. Here it says it is the father's responsibility. Now let me say some other things that are related to the husband and father being the leader. So I think I got four things here, I think they're in your notes there. I think it's three, four, five, six, I think is the way it's numbered in your notes there. But a leader, a leader is not a dictator. So a husband and father cannot be a dictator in the home. Okay, he might be a dictator, but he's not a leader if he is. A dictator is someone who has absolute rule, absolute and total authority. Most often obtained by force. They rule by fear. That's the way your home is. That's not how God intended it. A leader is not to be a dictator. Furthermore, the father, the husband, doesn't have absolute power. Doesn't have total authority. He has a delegated authority. Who delegated authority? The husband and father their authority. God did. And that means the husband and father are directly answerable to God for how they lead their family. Not to be a dictator. Leader's not a dictator. We also see here, number four, there in your notes, a leader knows where to go. I think in your notes it says, knows where to go. No, <laughs> it's where. Missing an H there. Okay. A leader has to know where to go. In order to lead, a husband and father must know where the family is supposed to go. He has to be able to give guidance and direction. If you don't know where to go, you'll never arrive at your destination. You don't know where to go. If you don't know where to go, you could possibly take unnecessary risks and lead your family into danger. Now let me ask you, where does the knowledge come from about where a husband and father should lead their family? Where does that knowledge come from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from God's Word. We also find that a leader goes first. This is kind of common sense stuff, right? A leader goes first. In order to lead, a husband and father has to go first. This means that the leader is first in leading the way, in clearing the way for those who follow him. A husband and father is to lead by setting the example, by giving an example for his wife and children to follow. Finally, a leader must be, Followable, followable. If a husband and father can't be followed, then they're not a leader. By the way, what are some of the ways, think about this, what are some of the ways that a father, that a husband, can become unfollowable, followable? Or he can't be followed. What are some of the ways? If they're in biblical error, false doctrine, Your family cannot be expected to follow the leader if the leader is going into false doctrine. Immoral activity. A wife and kids cannot be expected to follow the husband and father into sin. And then there's just plain foolishness. Unsound thinking. Leading the family into things that are just destructive to it. If a father does this, he cannot be. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be uh, someone that your family can follow. When a leader cannot be followed, they will discourage or even kill the ones trying to follow them. I mean, this would be like me grabbing the kids after church. After we ate, we would eat first before we left. Potluck Sunday. And uh, we would drive out, and I'd say, we're going on a 15-mile hike. And by the way, here's your 40-pound pack that you all have to carry. Each of you gets a 40-pound pack. Follow me. I'll lead the way. How many of them do you think would be able to make it? 15 miles, 40-pound packs. I can give you the answer to that. None. None. I would do it. I might die at the end of it, but I would do it. But uh, it's unreasonable to think that they would follow me doing something like that. When a father and husband leads his family in ways that are related to false doctrine, immoral activity, or in foolishness, he only discourages his family and leads them into dysfunction. So a father, a husband, is not only the foundation of the family, they are the leader of the family, and they must lead correctly. The third role that we see, the third role is the role of provider. The husband and father is to be the provider for the family. Now this provider role is something that God has given to the man even before he had a wife. So Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. In the context of this passage, we see that in verse 8, God plants a garden called Eden. So we call it the Garden of Eden. We see that this garden is described in verses 9 through 15, and we see in, uh, excuse me, 9 through 14, and we see at the beginning of verse 15, God places the man in the garden. He places the man in the garden. He provides a place for him. And then he provides work for him. He says that he's supposed to care for the garden. He is to tend it and keep it. And then God provides food for him in verse 16. He says you can eat of all the trees of the garden. Verse 17 is You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you can eat of everything but this one tree that's in the middle of the garden. What I want you to see here is that there's a connection between the task that God has given the man to tend the garden and the food that he gets from the garden. He's providing for food. He's providing himself for food. And this all happens before he's ever given a wife. So man as the provider is established before he even has a wife. But I also want you to see in chapter 3, so Genesis chapter 3, and verses 17 through 19, that this provider role that the husband and father has is retained after the fall. It's retained after the fall. So even when Adam and Eve fall into sin, even after that, Adam still has the role of being the provider for his family. In these three verses, verses 17 through 19, we see the effect that the fall has on man. And the effect is that the ground is cursed. The ground is cursed. And the result of the ground being cursed is that Adam is going to have to work very hard to get that ground to produce food for him and his family, but guess what he does? He still has to be the provider. He still has to provide the food for his family. So the husband and father are to be the provider for the family, and I, we got to have a, a proper perspective on providing. And we can we can boil this proper pr- perspective on. Providing. There's too many P's in that phrase. Proper perspective on providing. To have, it, have this right perspective, we can boil it down to two words. Needs, wants. Needs, wants. The father, the husband, is to provide for the needs of his family. Not necessarily the wants of his family. People need food. They want filet mignon. Okay? There's a difference. People need clothing. They might want the latest fashions. And so a father and husband might not provide all the same luxuries to his family as the Joneses down the street. But that doesn't mean he's an inadequate or bad Provider. You know, sometimes there's just situations with families where the husband is on a John boat income and can't provide a yacht. You know, he has to provide what is needed and what is necessary, not what is extra and not what is wanted. So let me give you a Three quick points to think about when it comes to a husband and father being a provider. Number one, three quick points. For a provider, to be a provider, the father, the husband, must work. He has to work. To be a provider, you have to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't what? Eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. you got to work. So a provider must engage in some kind of activity that produces for the family. Some kind of activity. Any kind of activity that produces for the family. He is to be a provider. It's his responsibility to do this. Secondly, to be a provider, the husband and father must sacrifice. He has to put the needs of his family before his own needs. He has to sacrifice. Thirdly... To be a provider, the husband and father must recognize what is needed. It doesn't do any good for the husband to provide chocolate bars to the family when they need milk. Right? That's not providing properly. He has to recognize what is needed. You know, there's a popular leadership book out today entitled... Leaders eat last. Anybody has anybody heard of that book? Eaters or leaders? Eaters don't eat last; they eat first. Leaders eat last. You can look it up online when you get a chance. Um, this principle that leaders eat last has become popular in the last ten years since this book was written in the corporate world trying to teach corporate executives how to be good leaders. The military's been teaching this for decades, decades and decades and decades. And this is the principle. When the leader is the provider, when the leader is the provider, he ensures those who are under his charge are taken care of first before he takes care of himself. Good principle. The husband and father, as the provider, must make sure the needs of those he has been charged with taking care of are cared for first. So, husband, father, he's the foundation of the family. He's the leader of the family. He's the provider of the family. One more, he is the protector of the family. The protector of the family. I want us to think about the job of being a protector here for a little bit. Uh, to be a protector, the father, the husband, must be situationally aware. Situationally aware. In other words, he's on the lookout for danger. He's aware of what's happening around him at all times to see if any danger might be coming. You all know people who drive a car, and the only thing they pay attention to is the five feet around their car. That's it. Okay? That would be a bad protector. This kind of person is the kind of person, when they drive a car, they notice everything that happens around them. They see the deer running across the field towards the road. They see the person coming at them who's swerving a little bit. They see the person coming up to a stoplight, and it sure does look like they're going a whole lot faster than they ought to be to get stopped at that light. A a protector is aware of all the situations that are around them. This is what the husband and father is to be. Also, to be a protector, the father must be a shield, a shield from present danger. And finally, to be a protector, the father must act. He must act. You know, husbands and fathers cannot be protectors of their family if they're so engrossed with themselves that they can't see the dangers out there that their family is presented with. Husbands and fathers cannot be protectors if they are more worried about their own self-preservation than preserving their family. To be a shield means you put yourself in between your family and the danger. You take the hit so they don't have to. To be a protector means you must act, and you must act decisively. You might have to take preemptive action. You can't date that boy. You can't watch that. You can't do that. All because you're trying to protect them from physical danger. Another area, or let me talk about the areas of protection. So that's the job of a protector. Well, what about the areas of protection? There are three areas to note. There's the physical. There is the. Emotional and there is the spiritual. A husband and father must protect his family from physical dangers, from emotional dangers, and from spiritual dangers. You know, part of the job of the Secret Service is to protect the President and Vice President of the United States. And in order to do that, they are constantly on the lookout for potential dangers. Potential dangers. They're looking everywhere for potential dangers. And they will shield their protectee with their own bodies in order to get that person to safety. And they will take action to remove whatever dangers are out there. For a husband and father, this could be as simple as making sure the family vehicle is taken care of. You're protecting your family, from physical dangers. It might be something a little bit more involved, telling your children you can't be out after a certain time. You can't go to that area. You can't be with those people. You're protecting them from physical danger. There's also emotional dangers that the father needs to protect his family from. This is bad relationships. Bad relationships. The father needs to protect the family from these things. And then there's spiritual dangers. The most effective way for a husband and father to protect his family from spiritual dangers is preemptive action. This means bring the family to church. It is not the mother's responsibility to make sure the kids are up to go to church. The father should be leading the family and going to church and wanting to go to church. Another way that the father protects his family spiritually is he corrects false doctrine. The spiritual leader in the family is the father. It is not the church and it is not the pastor. The pastor's job is to equip the father so that he can lead his family spiritually, so these are areas where the father and husband must protect his family and this uh, this word protection it's a defensive word, right? When we say protect it's defense well sometimes the best defense is what a strong offense so the Father and husband must prepare his family in each of these areas in order to protect them. In many ways, in many ways, the husband and father is to be a shepherd. Think about that. I'll give you five seconds to think about the connection between being a husband and father who's the foundation of the family, who's the leader of the family, who's the provider for the family, and who's the protector of the family, how that relates to being a shepherd. A shepherd loves his sheep. A shepherd sacrifices his, for his sheep. A shepherd is selfless. He is hardworking. He is a provider, and he is a protector. Good shepherds don't abuse their sheep. Good shepherds always do what is best for their sheep. Husbands and fathers are called to be the shepherds of their family. Now, there are certain challenges. There are certain challenges that... Uh, Husband and father faces. And I just want to run through these real quick. You already know these. I'm just going to remind you of them. But there are certain challenges. That every husband and every father. Faces. The first challenge is the sense that this is an overwhelming responsibility. (laughs) That can be a challenge. Because some men when they're faced with the responsibilities of being a father, they totally shut down and leave. They're overwhelmed with the idea of that responsibility. So being a husband and father is not easy. It's not easy. But we must never give up. We must never give in. We must stick with it. We must be faithful And if we are godly husbands and fathers, we will be rewarded for that. Another challenge is a sense of failure. This is the father who sticks around, but he knows how bad of a father he is. Don't you think it's ironic? Oh, this always makes me smile a little bit when I think about this. In in life in general. Who are the people that get married? Young people. Who are the people who have babies? Young people. Who are the people most ill-equipped to do either of those things? Young people. And God's designed it that way. God's designed it that way. And if He designed it that way, He must have provided us with the ability to fulfill those roles and those functions in life. And so we get into those situations. We get married. We have kids. And it's not too long after you're married or after you have kids that you find out, I don't do this very well. (laughs) I am not perfect. And then you've got to deal with everybody else's advice about how you should do it. But you have this sense of failure that you've done this. Well, the reality is, it's not a question of will you fail as a husband or father. The issue is when you will you fail because you're not perfect. And I'm not excusing bad behavior here. I'm just recognizing the reality of failure. The real issue is what do I do when I fail? When I fail as a husband, this applies to women as well, but your turn's next week. So, when I fail as a husband, what do I do? When I fail as a father, what do I do? Here's what you do you repent, you confess, and you correct. Repent, confess, and correct. That's what you do when you fail. So, don't let failure stop you from being a husband. And father. Another challenge that we face is the constant devaluing of men by our culture. Our culture is constantly devaluing men, especially husbands and fathers. We are immersed in our culture. You don't have a choice about that, by the way. You don't have a choice about that. Every group of people that we have seen who has tried to isolate themselves from the culture around them are always still affected by the culture. The Amish haven't been able to isolate themselves no matter how hard they try. And in the biblical time period, there was the Essenes who thought if we just go out and live in the desert and isolate ourselves, we won't be affected. Didn't work. Didn't work. Monks have tried it throughout the age of the church. It hasn't worked. It never works. We always have that pressure of our culture trying to tell us that we ought to be Something other than what the Bible says we ought to be. We find the disturbing truth that our culture is a tool of Satan that he uses to destroy the family. And the fastest way to destroy the family is to destroy the husband. That's a challenge for husbands and fathers, the culture around them. Finally, the last thing, Last challenge that we see a husband and father faces is an unsubmissive wife. An unsubmissive wife. Here's the thing about that. A submissive wife can make the role of being a husband and father a joy. Can make that role much easier. An unsubmissive wife will make it much harder to do. But in Ephesians 5, what we read this morning, Ephesians 5, what you didn't see in that passage, it didn't say, Husbands, love your wife if they submit. That's not what the Bible says, does it? There's no if there. It says, Husbands, love your wives. A husband is commanded to love his wife whether she Submit or not. But the reality is an unsubmissive wife is a challenge to being a husband and father. So how can we do this, men? How can we be godly, faithful husbands and fathers? Can an unbeliever be a good husband and father? The answer is yes, they can. They can. If an unbeliever follows biblical principles... They can be a good husband and father. But the thing that we have as believers, as Christians, is we have the Holy Spirit. And there's two ways that the Holy Spirit helps us be good husbands and fathers. Number one, I think this is letter C there in your notes. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is objective truth. It's truth whether you recognize it or not. You don't have to do anything for this to happen. It is objective. It is a positional truth. And the Bible tells us, we're not going to go through those passages. You can read those on your own. But the Bible tells us that every single believer... Everyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ, who is Christ, who is in Christ, who belongs to Christ, has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This indwelling takes place at the point of conversion, at the point of faith. You don't have to do anything to get it. It is a blessing of your salvation. And at last, forever. As long as we're on this earth, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And that means God is dwelling in you. God's dwelling in you. What an advantage a believer has. The second thing that we see in relation to the Holy Spirit is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the filling and the indwelling are two totally different things. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is objective truth. It doesn't matter whether you accept it or not or believe it or not. It's going to be true. It's positional. The filling of the Holy Spirit is subjective. You go on to experience this. It's practical. Now, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? The filling of the Holy Spirit... Is a life that is characterized by being controlled by, being in harmony with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You're controlled by, and you are in harmony with the Spirit. This is not a permanent thing. It doesn't happen at conversion. It happens when you yield yourself To the word of God. When you resist sin. And you trust God. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's commanded. Don't be drunk with wine. Dot, dot, dot. But. Be filled with the Spirit. This is a repeatable activity. It comes and goes. I think it's interesting how God gives you what you need in the time that you need it. You don't always have everything, all the time, all at once. He gives you what you need in the time that you need it. And this results in husbands and fathers having Christ-like character, worshiping and praising God, and being submissive to the Word of God. A husband and father who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them Means that the Holy Spirit knows. And even in a certain sense, the Holy Spirit experiences what you're going through. He knows your challenges. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where to help. The believing husband and father can be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you obey the commands of Scripture, there is a supernatural work that takes place by the Holy Spirit in which He aids you in producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, in the life of your marriage, in the life of your family. This means that the Christian husband and father has an advantage that no unbeliever has. He has the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural advantage To help them be godly husbands and fathers. The husbands and fathers God designed them to be. What an advantage that is. You realize you can't really function as a Christian, as a faithful Christian, without the Holy Spirit. You do realize that. You try to function as a Christian based upon your own self-discipline and self-will, you will fail miserably. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. There's a great deal that the husband and father is accountable for. They can be the downfall of the family. The husband and father can cause the downfall of a family. They can cause the downfall of a society and even a local church. But they can also be the solution. They can also be the one who elevates the family, society, and a church. The challenges are great. I think we recognize that. The challenges are great. Satan and those who serve him are actively and aggressively trying to destroy husbands and fathers. But if you are a believer, you can be an overcomer. Because 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Not greater is he who is with you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let me close with this. King David. As King David is dying, he brings Solomon in. And he's going to give his son Solomon some advice. So in 1 Kings chapter 2, he's giving him this advice. And there's just two verses, verses 2 and 3, that I want to read here. David says to Solomon, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong. And prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. To keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses. So that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. David said this in connection to the promise God had made him in the Davidic covenant. But there is a broader principle here as well. Husbands, fathers, be strong. Prove yourself a man by obeying the Lord. Just you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, we give you thanks this morning for your goodness to us, your design for us. And Lord, we especially want to pray for our husbands and fathers today, all the men of the church. You have given them a great responsibility, but you also have provided for them great enablement. As Christian men this morning, Father, it is our desire to be godly men, men who are the foundation for our family, men who lead our family well in your way, men who provide for the needs of our family, and men who protect our family from all dangers. And Father, we admit to you this morning, we are totally and utterly incapable of doing those things on our own. Even if there was a whole platoon of us, Father, we know we couldn't do those things without you. And so we give you thanks this morning that you have given each one of us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And you have given us the ability to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, help us to live lives that are wise before you. Live lives in submission to how the Holy Spirit takes your word and guides us. Father, help us to be pleasing to you as men and as husbands and as fathers and lord i also pray for the women here this morning that you would encourage them to be an encouragement to the husbands and fathers and their lives to help them lead their families in godliness And Father, we come before You and we ask all these things in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who gave Himself for us. We pray in His name. Amen.